for Nadar. Let's get into it. The podcast that dives into the past, present, and future of Nadar. This is where we will hear stories of how the organization came to be, tips for better representation, and a behind-the-scenes look of Nadar. Now with your hosts, Eva Sermon and Jay Shea Guest. I am Carletta Griffin, inviting you. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of Nadar. Let's get into it and uh, continuing on with, it's like counting money uh, with these podcasts. We are visiting with a past president and uh, just want to bring in Miss Eva, the uh, best co-host in the world uh, that anybody could ever have and for the best organization in the world that anybody could ever be a part of. How you doing, Eva? Amen to that, Shay. Um, I'm great. How are you? doing great doing great just uh doing the do and griping with social security people and helping claimants every day yep i hear you well i was fortunate enough to take a little vacation so i was out for about a week and my husband and i went uh to costa rica and celebrated both of our 40th birthdays um, we both turned 40 this year and so i'm kind of feeling great after my trip i was in a very relaxed place with some of my favorite people and um so i came back feeling pretty good well i feel like a jar of welches now i'm jelly over that so we might want to go ahead and get into this podcast before i melt for the my seat here so let's do it so yeah so we're excited today to be talking with chris Moyes, who uh, has been around since the beginning and served in the early days as president and so i uh, know he also had a very big part in our early legislative uh, team. So welcome, Chris. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We we have uh, been trying to hit all of the founding folks. You know what I mean? Ah, okay. Okay. And so just, you know, I think part of this podcast is also to sort of help um, just sort of capture some of the the life of, of, of NADR in the beginning and what it looked like. Um, but before we jump into sort of your role back in, you know, the early 2000s with the organization, um, tell us a little bit about yourself I mean, where you're from and how you got into this business. Yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of people, you know, when I was a little kid, this wasn't what I said I wanted to be when I grow up. <laughs> uh, I, I'm still working on that one. Um, but I had, uh, I was a military brat. My dad was career Air Force. You know, I was one of those people that I think we moved 15 times before we kind of settled down here in Florida. And uh, I was, I met my high school sweetheart and married her. <laughs> so, you know, Michelle and I actually go back that long. Okay. And uh, so, to, so, you know, I did a lot of traveling, lived in a lot of different places, but I'm originally from Maine. And my, uh, my mother's whole family is from Bar Harbor. She's an island girl. Uh, and uh, no matter where we were in the world, every summer we spent in Bar Harbor now. We didn't summer in Bar Harbor. We weren't those people. <laughs> we got to spend our summers in Bar Where, you know, I think when I was 13, my mother first signed a work permit for me and said, get a job. And I did. Uh, so, which were great experiences, you know, washing dishes and pulling lobster traps for one of my cousins. I mean, uh, those were great, great years. And uh, Michelle and I got married in 1988. And uh, I was in banking originally. I was one of those kind of hybrid people who was doing both uh, uh, 
commercial banking and what you would call consumer banking. And I was trained to do both. And I was in that going on about 10 years when I was finally, I kind of moved up into like what they call professional executive, which is kind of like private banking. And then I got into treasury, corporate treasury management. And along the way, while I was in the bank, uh, they needed people who could help out with some lobbying. You know, we were trying to do, get interstate banking passed again. You know, after the Great Depression, they said, you, you've all got to separate. We don't want any big banks again. But that, of course, caused problems. If you stepped over a state line with the same bank, you couldn't, you know, make a deposit into your bank account. Or if you did, it didn't show up for a week. And uh, so I, my first big, you know, lobbying experience actually started then in banking. And I was helping get interstate banking passed. And I started working here in Florida with a name some people are going to be familiar with, Charlie Crist. Uh, he was in the, he was a state senator, and who then he became our he was our education commissioner, he was our attorney general, he was our governor. He, he was, you know, he 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 had a long list of things. And so we've known Charlie for years. He was from right here in St. Pete, which was great. So that's you know that was how it kind of got me that taste of of lobbying, uh, you know, at that level, which is very different than the kind of lobbying that we were doing with NATR because we were going in as banks and we had very, very deep pockets. And uh, I already, I, I knew Charlie, so that was a good thing. But, you know, back in those days, you know, they wanted to get meetings with us because we were those kind of, you know, we were already a player at the table, which, you know, when NADR was going to, to DC, we, we weren't even a player. So we had to even just get recognized. But further on in the story, uh, my mother-in-law had was working with my father-in-law in their law firm and she was handling a bunch of social security cases and unfortunately um she got sick she had cancer she and when she passed away she probably had a couple of hundred social security cases that she was handling and wow. my father-in-law and, and at this time michelle was already out on her own i was still in banking and of course you know i was helping her on cases every night and on the weekends and her dad said look you know, I can't handle these. Um, uh, can you help me out? And he did all the proper things with bar that you're supposed to do and contacted all the clients and said, look, I'd like to send you on to my daughter, who's this thing called a non-attorney representative. And uh, I, we didn't, I don't think there was a single case that didn't stick, stick with us. You know, we had a separate office and a separate place. And, uh, and that eventually, you know, she kind of, there were so many cases at that point where she said, look, you know, we, we need more help. And we got to make that decision. You know, I had, I'd got to that point in banking where, you know, it was kind of cushy. I was making great money. Um, I was, you know, all the corporate benefits and, but I was also doing some traveling because I was in corporate treasury management. So I had to kind of move travel to where corporate headquarters were for offices, you know, even though they may be here on the West coast of Florida, but if their headquarters is in Atlanta, well, we'd have to go there. So, you know, that there was a little bit more traveling than I had hoped for. And we said, okay, we're going to jump into this totally self-employed ring. And that was a tough one, but that was about, I don't know, mid to late nineties um, easily. So yeah, we, I, I went and joined her. her. The company was already up and running. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe about five or five or 10 years after that, we then we moved offices down into where actually we're in the same building now with my father-in-law. So he and now Laurel, my daughter, uh, who, you know, is, is familiar to NADR, who's helped out at conferences, as you well know, and uh, who's 
now an attorney. She's working with with her grandfather, who's still practicing at you know eighty two years old, and uh, she's she's she, he does you know mostly PI and that kind of stuff. And she's a lot. She's criminal defense. She's really good at it. Uh, people people obviously like it's Elle Woods. <laughs> it's what you know her. You know the Laurel Woods yeah. side. And so people, I think, uh, often uh, underestimate uh, their competition. So she's she's she does a great job, and she's real good at what she does. But anyway, so now the family's all under kind of one roof, with the exception of Mitch, you know. But he's a Broadway guy. You know, Mitchell will never leave Big Apple. That's my son. Uh, so that's you know, you know, that's the that's the thumbnail version of how we got into this. So I got trained by the best, Michelle. Absolutely. Um, yes, your wife is an amazing representative. Um, and I know that, you know, working together and deciding to, like you say, kind of put all of your apples in the self-employment basket, um, you know, that can be scary for people. I think you're either born with this uh, entrepreneurial spirit or or you're not. And so what do you think that you were born with an entrepreneurial spirit and kind of always thought that, or did you think that you just took advantage of that opportunity when it came and because she had her own business, it felt comfortable for you. To be honest, I think people will be surprised when I say, no, that was not, I was not born with the entrepreneurial spirit, believe it or not. I mean, you know, I watched my dad, who was a career air force. He was in strategic air command and headed electronic warfare. And so, you know, I, I, that kind of structure was kind of what my life was about. And as you well know, when you go into self-employment structure, you know, you, you're exactly. building it all from scratch. And uh, Michelle is one of those people that we're, we're, we're very different. And she was used to this because, you know, her growing up, her father was always self-employed, right. uh, you know, as an attorney. And she always worked at the law firm. So, she, you know, she didn't think about things the way I did. I'm thinking there's no regular paycheck. <laughs> Wait a minute. What are we going to do now? How are we you know, going to pay for the insurance uh, tuition for the kids is due, uh, you know, the, those kinds of things. And so I would worry more than, than she would. And now those roles are reversed. She worries more than I do, but yeah, um, well, it's amazing. Yeah. How, you know, over time, right. You, you kind of get in a groove of like, okay, today I'm working on my business and tomorrow I'm going to work in my business, you know, and yeah. um, got to kind of have a balance of that. And there should definitely always be somebody worrying about tuition oh. bills being paid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, she, she's got her head into all that now because I, you know, I'm, I help out when I can, but I'm not, you know, hundred percent there anymore. We also have rental properties and things like that. So as I've gotten older and had some health issues, I've kind of backed off a little bit. She does, I, she won't want me to say she does 99%, you know, she really does. She, she's incredible. And and we have very different styles. I mean, when you're working with family that can, you know, people think, oh, that's wonderful. You can take your vacations whenever you want, do it. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're handcuffed to your office and to your clients. I mean, there were years there where I don't think we took more than three days or four days off at a time. And then as the kids got a little older, we're like, no, we've got to take it, you know, weeks or two weeks here and there. And we kind of, you know, moved them around throughout the year, which worked out really well. But, you know, I'm one of those people who everything has its place. I want everything neat and tidy, my desk, my office, everything. And if you go in Michelle's office, it's like, I feel like it's like a bomb went off and it gives me anxiety, except Michelle is she's she's brilliant. And if you just ask her, say, hey, I needed and this was back during paper file days. If you, hey, I need to know. I need to see an, an IME that came in from a workers comp doctor that's also handling one of the case, a case for one of our clients. 
Uh, and she could look at the stack and reach in and just pull that piece of paper out. And without looking at it, could tell you what it says. So, you know, it's easier when you're working with somebody that's that smart. So I got to say that right from the very beginning. So, okay. So late nineties is when you stepped yeah. into that role and was Michelle already involved in a professional organization at that time for disability? Oh, not, yeah. Oh, absolutely. We were NOSCAR people. I mean, okay. I had gone to se uh, several NOSCAR conferences with her. Um, she was a NOSCAR member. Um, yeah, all, all well and good. We, I mean, I, am I allowed to say that word? Absolutely. <laughs> so, no, absolutely. So do I need to say that that's a competitor organization? I think it's part uh, yeah, of we, like uh, most people's history that have been around for a while. They, absolutely. That, you know, and that, that whole Adrissa debacle that occurred. Oh yeah. Yep, yep, yep. We were part of we were part of that. Um, and um, ultimately uh, I got a call from Dale Cowan. So uh, just to set the record straight, I'm not a founding member. I was I joined the following year when Dale Cowan called me and said, Hey, this is what we're doing. Um, we're not going to be the Adrissa group. Uh, we really are going to be a nonprofit. And these are some of the people involved. And I had kind of, you know, when you're in the business for a while, you, you know, recognize names and Michelle recognized some of the names of some of the people who were involved. You know, I, I checked out Dale a little bit and he was a good guy. And it's the first time we met face to face. Uh, my, my job was to, uh, I, he said, you know, can you help us find a lobbying firm? And I said, sure, absolutely. And, you know, I was looking at dozens of firms in the D.C. area and, and you know, narrowed it down to uh, two or three firms that we thought had some knowledge and expertise in our particular area. And um, I remember one of those firms was kind of trying to convince us, oh, no, you don't need a lobbyist for this. And come to find out they were kind of tangentially working for the competition as it were and uh, we were like yeah no we, we really feel we do but my my first meeting with dale is hysterical i to this day i you know in the l'enfant plaza hotel which is unfortunate i don't think it's there anymore where the l'enfant plaza uh rail stop is at uh in washington dc there was a hotel right there above it it was a i think it was a marriott and I, it was like 10 30 in the morning that I lay eyes on Dale for the first time. And, you know, I'm showing up in a coat and tie and there's Dale in cowboy boots and a bolo tie. And I kid you not. Now Dale says, oh, I don't really remember that. And anybody who knows him knows this is absolutely, he said, Hey, uh, come on over here for a minute. And there's the, the hotel bar, right. You know, right next, right there in the lobby and they're not open yet. And he, and he gets them to open it up and says, you and I are going to have some tequila. <laughs> Okay, so we start off having some tequila, and he's like, "I think you know." I said, "We we should get to know each other." We talked a little bit, got to know each other a little bit, and uh, immediately proceeded to interviewing potential candidates for our job. And and thank goodness, Jefferson Government Relations was one of the people that I had narrowed it down to, and uh, they were just a good fit. They were a great fit, you know. They they had what you look for in in a firm for what we were doing. We needed somebody that had bipartisan appeal that that uh, because you know social security even though they call third rail in politics you know it, it it both parties you need both parties and independents to be on board with anything you're going to do and we knew that going in so uh you know they were they were just a great asset starting out and you know kind of my role 
initially, I was our legislative chairperson. I, I was involved with our legislative stuff for about 11 years, actually. Counting the time that I was vice president and president, I was either still legislative chair or then co-chair with Art um, for a while. And, uh, and, you know, of course, we also had a belief that, you know, my belief at least, and I, several of the other presidents felt the same way, was that, look, we, we need to keep bringing new blood in. We need to get people on our committees. We need to get people involved because we can't be 20 years down the road and have the same old faces um, running the show. We need people to understand that you can get involved and we need you to get involved. And so uh, that was that was the way things got started and, and we were off to the races. That's awesome. Yeah. You... Um... Like you said, you mentioned you you eventually became vice president and then you became president for a while. And I feel like the timing of your presidency was when we were pushing forward with getting the demo project yeah. into law, right? Which would have been what, 2004, five? Yeah, right around there. A absolutely. That, you know, my, my whole raison d'etre at that point was we want to get the, 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 the project put through. Uh, we had to have a demonstration project done because Social Security, I'll back up a step. We were at a time in Congress called PAYGO. And uh, I know some people are familiar with that, meaning, you know, you didn't go and suggest anything to Congress unless you had a way to pay for it, too. And so we had to kind of we had to create a demonstration project that we thought would work. And we had wonderful people helping us, not just our lobbyists, but we had a former commissioner, which was Lou Enoff. He yeah. was instrumental in helping us develop what we were doing. Um, and so I, I was working more on, you know, a lot of our strategy as well as raising money. Um, I kind of had old school politics in, in mind. Uh, I mean, when, when you look at how this all got started, you know, those of us that were in Nostra thought Nostra was going to take care of the non-attorneys. They kept telling us that they were going to. And uh, ultimately, in the end, uh, we realized that they were putting a bill forward that was going to get direct fee payment on SSI cases for attorneys. But there was also some language in there that kind of was more or less saying um, you can only get paid on a Social Security case if you're an attorney. That was kind of the bottom line. And essentially, it was going to put non-attorneys out of business. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, good lobbyists and, and understanding the rules of the House and whatnot, we we kind of, I think to the people who are pushing that one, we, they didn't even know we were on the board and we came out of nowhere and had that bill killed, uh, for that Congress. And, and then we were at that point, we were off to the races and, and in DC, um, you know, you have to build your credibility. And so we set about doing that. And that meant lots of, you know, board members and other members, uh, coming to DC. We had, uh, we organized grassroots uh, uh, action on the part of our membership. We, we wanted everybody to tell us, where do you live? Who's your congressman? Who's your senator? Uh, who's your representative? And, you know, we want you to be in touch with the, he or she and, and tell them who we are and what we're trying to do. And, and the name of the game back then was parody. We wanted parody. You know, the act says you don't have to be a lawyer to do this stuff. And so we just wanted to be treated equally. Like, you know, all reps should be treated equally. Right. And, uh, so that was the fight from the beginning. And, and Lou Enoff was, he was a big, he met us. And, and if you knew, if, if you've met Lou, you know, he's, a, he's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. And he was also at a point in his life where he's like, I don't have to work for anybody or with anybody, but 
uh, who I like. And he said, I re- you know, I really believe in you guys and I like you and you're good people and you do this for the right reasons. And so, yeah, I, you know, I, I really want to work with y'all. And, and so we're, I can't tell you how lucky we were that he jumped on board with us. And between him and obviously the nonstop work for our lobbyists and the membership, I mean, this is a truly a team effort. I mean, the members, we had to dig deep. I mean, uh, I know you've heard this from others. I've heard other podcasts. I mean, uh, there are people mortgaging their houses and there were huge donations from some members and, and uh, all of us were given till it hurt. And in those early days, you know, we were, we were covering all of our own expenses. Uh, we were also making donations to candidates and their packs to get noticed. Um, but then on the grassroots level too, I, you know, we had members attending um, uh, town hall meetings in their districts with their representatives and with their senators and raising their hands and asking questions about what we were doing and other things that were important to them. So we set about building relationships that were key and trying to become a player in DC and trying to kind of get recognized and to get recognized for the right reasons. And we were uh, for uh, the SSA people were shocked when I think when we first met them because they were so used to groups coming in and just hammering them saying, you guys are doing everything wrong. I mean, you're, you're, oh, you're making it so hard. And we came in and said, Hey, how can we help you? I remember one of our first meetings with SSA was, Hey, can we help you get more money in your budget? And they said, what? You want to do what? <laughs> yeah, you know, we want to help you guys because helping you helps us. Right. And, and they just they, they were just, you know, floored by that, that we, the people we were originally meeting with. And I said, There's, we're not adversaries at all. Um, you know, we all trying to do all we're all trying to do the right thing for our clients. And you're trying to do the right thing. You know, we know that you guys have to be the gatekeeper. But that doesn't mean you don't want you know, truly disabled people to, to get what they need to survive. So, you know, they said, wow, you mean, you know, you don't think we're the evil empire? I said, no, absolutely not. Uh, we're, we're here to work with you. And so that helped our reputation right from the very beginning. And they, they knew where we were coming from. As a result, you know, they had us participating in so many other demo projects and, and they had us, uh, you know, jumping into all sorts of issues with them. Uh, but, but the fight, to get the demo project and ultimately EDPNA was just, I mean, it was, it was an uphill battle to say the least. Uh, I mean, a Herculean task that again, it took the entire membership. I mean, yeah, I, I was the spearhead, me, Art, and, 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 and every member of the board, you know, all the way up until when it was passed. And then for a couple of years after, because uh, you know, the thing is it took us this long to get this going took us years to get it going but you know all it takes is uh you know a couple of crazy people in 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 congress to say we're gonna do away with this so you you constantly got to be watching and you know that's what we you know we have gene but uh i mean she wasn't even in the picture when we started all of this uh it was uh guys like john desser and uh uh uh, rasmussen and, and you know they were wonderful and we had some i make it sound like it was all uphill trade but we had some wonderful times some scary times. I, you know, we were in, I was in a lockdown in the Senator's office because of an anthrax scare one time. My gosh, Chris, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. But in our days, although there were days where I remember, you know, we didn't see sunlight except through someone's window because back then, now this was post 9-11, but uh, back then, if you were with a senior staffer or the member, you could ride that little train that goes underneath the Capitol that goes back and forth from the House and Senate side 
you know. Well, and, wouldn't that be nice? Well, we would start off in the morning before the sun rose right. and go all day in long into the evening and, you know, not be heading out, not walking outside until it was dark again. And that was just your average day. So, you know, those were some long days and, and some rough hoeing. But, you know, we built relationships that way. And it helped that some of us had good relationships with our representatives. You know, at, at the time, my representative was Bill Young. Bill Young was, you know, he was chair of appropriations for a while. And then he was one of the longest serving members in Congress. Well, you know, that helped. Uh, you know, I had a good relationship with his office, with his people back then. Um, I mean, his local guy now is was mayor of one of our local cities. And I, I knew him and his people in his office Guys like uh, Brad Stein and Harry, I mean, Harry Glenn, they, they, those people were very helpful uh, to us in the, in the beginning because we just explained what we were trying to do. Right. And that, you know, we were just trying to set an equal playing field for a bunch of small business owners mostly and uh, and just get treated right, right and do the do the right thing for disabled people. And, you know, it, it wasn't hard to sell when you got in front of these people. I mean, uh, the only times that we had solid nose were when, when people had been gotten to by the competition who did not want this to happen. I mean, they put up roadblocks kind of every chance that they could. And when we finally were getting the EDPNA passed and they were, they were getting into the nitty gritty and we were in the grass over the details, uh, you know, at one point they wanted us to have to pass an exam that was like a bar exam, a multi-day exam that included oral argument, <laughs> uh, which most bars, bar exams do not include. Uh, they also wanted us to have uh, liability insurance, which, by the way, also most lawyers in most states are not required to have at all. So and, and, you know, we said yes to almost all of it. We said, sure. You know, we wanted there to be an education or experiential requirement for people to do this. Um, I wish I think they kind of got a little bit lax on that. I wish they were. I mean, I, I, I do think that it was the college and experience or a combination of the two. And then also after those like the first exams, uh, we were, you know, having a relationship with SSA was key because we would go in afterwards and kind of see the distribution of the exam. And we would say, okay, look, there are some questions that kind of were out of left field and can you maybe throw some out? And so we would have these post-exam meetings, um, but I, I'll never, I'll never forget the very, the first time, you know, I took it in Atlanta the first time it was offered with my wife, we drove up there. And this was at the beginning of when I was first having some, some back issues and I had some hernia, I have herniated discs and I was taking these, these pain meds and everything. And I can remember going into that exam. I took pain meds the night before and I thought for sure by the morning, this stuff's going to be worn off. Oh, my, it was awful. I was practically drooling during, during that oh. test and I was in pain. I was miserable. And, uh, and of course, I studied like crazy. Michelle didn't crack a book. Uh, she, she knew this stuff. She knew it so well. and. So after the exam, at once they knew the results, boom, up up to to DC we go. And actually, I think we might have gone to Woodlawn, and at that at that point. And the first thing they said, thank goodness, is one of the main guys we were working with in SSA at that point also was having the same back problem I was having. 
And, and he knew I was nervous and he came and he said, first thing I want to say is everybody in this room passed the exam. <laughs> it's like, Oh my God. God. Thank God. It turns out Michelle got, I don't know, like the highest score of the second, I think she missed one question. Maybe I think there were a couple of people that, that did, you know, got one question wrong, maybe two. And uh, I passed. I don't remember what my score was, honestly, but I know I, I did respectably. I'm like, OK, I, I passed the exam. Thank God. And I, I, I worked on it. I mean, I studied on it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, well, there's so many things I want to talk about from what you said. So let me let me start back with my initial thought and question, which was about the grassroots activity with the members of the organization at that time. Because I find that that's a real struggle for us right now, being a part of the leadership team, is getting people engaged. And we have the tools, we have the technology, we have tried to come up with ways to make it very easy for the members to participate um, and, and, and and yet not have to really extend themselves very much, right? But I'm, I'm assuming when you say you were doing grassroots efforts like you know, going to local um, co congressional members meetings and things like that, like talk to me a little bit more about what that looked like and how you sort of mobilized the members. What, I mean, what did, yeah. what did you do? What was the secret sauce <laughs> excited well, about participating? I will tell you that nothing beats person to person, look someone in the eye kind of requests. And I can't tell you how many people, when we were asking for money, and, and again, I feel like I was, I was a broken record. Every time we got together, I was saying, people, we need more money. You've got to donate to the lobbying effort. Uh, but, you know, there were people coming up to me and who, who knew who knew me uh, or at least had heard of me and kind of knew that you know, I wasn't a BS or I, if I told you something, it was the truth, which is also part of your, you know, your, your, your cloud in DC. If, if they feel like you're not telling them the truth, then, you know, they don't even want to take meetings with you. But anyway, I, yeah, I had people coming up to me saying, is this really going to work? I mean, are we just throwing our money away? I mean, and I said, absolutely. We can make this work. Like this is, we can make this happen. And so there's, First, so nothing beats that person to person. And so as a result, you know, it takes a lot of people to do that. So I was doing that. Art was doing that. Members of the board were doing that. Um, you know, every officer on the board was 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 themselves going and asking other members, uh, you know, other practitioners that they knew in their community. They were just, please help donate to this. Look what it's going to do for you. I mean, if we got fee payment uh, and, and let's face it this built a legacy for everybody. I mean, we have businesses that have value that we can sell, that we can pass on. And, and we didn't before this, there was no guarantee of anything. And uh, that was key. And then, you know, I, I knew from doing some of my banking stuff that now we were on the flip side of the coin. People weren't dying to get a hold of us and our money. We were trying to get in the door. So how do you get in the door with your a Congress member or with a Senator? Well, you know, first of all, you got to show an interest in what they're interested in and you have to be present. At, you know, as they used to say, the, the, those who are present make the decisions. The people who are here are going to be the one that, you know, make the hard choices. So we had our members present. And when I say we had people going to town hall meetings, we had people going to, uh, to writing letters to their Congress people. Now, we tailored those letters and we said, these are the things, this is the part of the Social Security Act we're trying to amend, this is what we're doing. 
which by the way, I don't, people don't understand. We're on, we amended the original Social Security Act going back to FDR. That's still the same thing. Uh, we're just amending that act. Uh, all these things are just amendments of that original. And so, you know, we would walk our, the membership through it at every time we got together at every concert, concert, <laughs> conference. Uh, I'm thinking about Jimmy Buffett. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Every time we would get together, uh, we would just hammer this with people during every conference. We would stand up in between speakers. We would say, don't forget to give. You know, you need to do this. And, and we would bring members to D.C., and that was key as well. We said, look, you want to experience what this is like and you want to see what we're doing, come see it. There, there, there was no secret agenda. We were wide open and we wanted everyone to participate. So we said, hey, fly yourself to D.C. We'll tell you when we're going to be there next. And there were months where I was flying back and forth to D.C. three, four or five times. Um, and then some of that stuff, you know, I'd split up with art. But he and I were there a lot together. Um, and then we were there a lot separately because we, there would be members who from different parts of the country, we'd say, come in, come fly in. We'll meet you there with the lobbyists and we'll go see your representative. And of course, when I say see your representative, it means see, you're seeing staff. And those are where the key relationships are built. It was with staff members. We used to talk to people and they'd say, well, you know, I went to high school with so-and-so. I'm like, well, that's good. Will it get you in the door? So, yeah, let's get in the door. But then, you know, you'd be amazed. It's people from the age of 25 to like 38 or 40 that are running D.C. Oh <laughs> those are the, I yeah, those are the I have had this, this chat with art in D.C. Like, I yeah. think I said it on this podcast before, but we go to lunch one day and we walk into the cafeteria and I look around. <laughs> it's kids. 23. And I said, Art, I feel old. And he looks at me and goes, imagine how I feel, kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly the way it was. And so, you know, you had to be relatable. You had to communicate your message succinctly. Um, and uh, once we did that, uh, you know, the, the ball started rolling. It was slow to get going. But we had people who were coming on board with us. We had people who who just were were you know, absolutely let us know what we can do and we will do it for you. And that was wonderful. You know, toward, by the end, uh, we were helping people with things that had nothing to do with anything we had to do with. We just had things that people were in their district or in other areas or other issues. And we said, sure, we'll, we'll help help you out with that. We have no problem. So we worked with, you know, both houses of Congress and Social Security Administration and sometimes with people from the White House on any number of things, like when they started doing compassionate allowances, you know, they asked us, can you come and meet, you know, have, be a part of some of these meetings? Um, that was under um, Astro, which, okay, uh, this is where I'm getting uh, one of those funny side stories. M Michael Astro was the commissioner and uh, he knew who we were. We had met with him several times. He was a wonderful guy. And he personally, he was an attorney, but he came from big pharma world. But his father, uh, was sick and he actually represented his father in his uh, social security, his social security case. And he even said, like, I didn't know what I was doing. And he was lucky because his father, unfortunately, I think was terminally ill. So, you know, he was, he said, but I, I think he was the first to admit kind of that he, he got, he was pretty lucky, uh, in that re in the regards to, you know, the representation end of it. So he understood where we were coming from, uh, even though we were, most of us were non-attorney representatives, um, 
and and you know I, I will say this that he also looked for some cover from some of the people who would always beat him up and we were at a social security town hall meeting and this is this was the demonstration project i believe was happening at this point i, I may have the timeline wrong and he knew us to be friendly and we were at one of these meetings and people other organizations not just people competed, but other organizations were there present. And they were just kind of beaten up on him in this little town hall meeting. And he's like, okay, well, look, uh, you know, we're breaking for lunch and I'm going to take off. And uh, thanks, everybody. We'll let you know when we're going to have the next one of these. And people were just running up to him. And he he walked over to me and I just see the look. And I said, you okay? He's like, uh, you, you go to lunch with me? I'm like, sure. I said, he's turned around and said, hey, I've got a previous lunch commitment here with, with, with Chris. So, uh, Thanks everybody. <laughs> you know, out the door we went, and it was great. You know, I got some one-on-one -on -one time, which was wonderful. Uh, and and coincidentally, my wife Michelle M I C H first three letters after the name Michael Astru M I C H. One night here in Florida, sunny Florida, I'm on my way home from the office. She was already she picked the kids up that day. She was already home. I'm texting M I C H real quick. Hey, honey, need me to pick up something for dinner on the way home? How's everything going? I'll see you in a little while. <laughs> well, Chris, I'm and, glad to know and, that was the context of the text. <laughs> and he texted back. <laughs> he said, he was great. He said, hey, I don't, I don't mind picking up dinner, but I think it's going to be a little bit cold. The commute's going to kill me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. God, I can't believe that I just did this. This is so embarrassing. So, you know, we had, you know, think, some, a lot. It, we had fun with this too. There were a lot of times. to the best of us. Happens yeah. to the best of us. You're, you're yeah, right. I know. I know. So, you know, it, it, it was wonderful. I, I used to be, I was cover like that for, for Bill Young sometimes actually, because, you know, members of Congress would, would, would fly back and forth to their districts, usually on Monday or Tuesdays and then Thursdays and Fridays, you know, back and to and from. And I was on the same plane with Bill Young and several other representatives. We were all on the same flights going back and forth uh, in, in and out of D.C. And there were times where with Bill Young, because everybody wanted it. I mean, he was he was, you know, one of the elder statesmen of Congress. Everybody, even the other members wanted time with him. And I was sitting there talking with him in the airport one day, at, you know, at Reagan National. And uh, I said, hey, Congressman, and he, he just, I could tell, you know, it was one of those things. He was one of those guys that always had high energy and he was just tired. And I said, you know, Congressman, um, I'm just going to sit here and uh, with a pad and read and, and make it look like maybe we're talking. And he's like, would you do that? That'd be great. Give me some cover. So he said, you know, look, anytime somebody would come up, he, he just kind of hold up. And say, I'm sorry, I'm talking with Chris here. I'm talking with someone, one of my constituents. And, and, he, and then we just go back to just kind of really looking at each other, but not talking or looking down. <laughs> and so, you know, you build relationships and that's what we did. And that's what we had the membership do. You know, we and, and that was what did it for us. It, it really was. Everybody bought it. Everybody understood what was at stake. And they did the things that we asked them to. They trusted our leadership. They trusted the people that were in charge. Um, people came and saw for themselves. They experienced it. And, um, you know, they, they bought in. And that's what makes NADR such an incredible organization. I mean, these are wonderful people. And I'll always think that until the day they put me under, you know, uh, that, that 
these are it's just a great group of individuals, even the attorneys. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's just such an interesting perspective on this backstory because um probably you and art have the the most you know sort of historical memories of the legislative piece you know what i mean oh, yeah yeah um, and i was lucky michelle did and ran our conferences along with nancy and some others the first few conferences we yeah, so absolutely. Every, this nadr was the whole was a family affair i will also say this that when we first started out our lobbyists told us, they said, oh, for the love of God, do not say, call yourself Nader. Don't do that. Because right. you know, Ralph Nader, and we were coming up like at the 08 presidential election, and Ralph Nader was still one of those you know, people running. And they said, don't, you know, you, you're NADR, NADR. And we were drilling that into members' heads when we were on the Hill. Don't say we're here for Nader. They'll just, you're going to get some doors closed just because of that. So, you know, we were NADR, NADR. Uh, so it's funny to me now, every time somebody says, you know, like we are in, we are Nadar, I'm like, oh God, oh, gosh. That, was just, oh, gosh. that was such taboo back in the day. We just weren't supposed to do that. So we've come a long way. Thank goodness. Absolutely. And so, okay. So 2005 ish, I think is when the demonstration, the first test was given, right? Like the demonstration project opened. You take, yeah, roughly, I, you know, something like that. And then. It was signed into to law in 2010? Yes. Yeah. The, the, the demo project finished and then finally it became law. After we, the, yeah, it was reviewed uh, by the GAO or somebody or the government. Yeah. And in Congress. And they said, yeah, no, this is working. This program works. And yeah. So that was a big day. I remember being in my office. I remember watching the floor vote on TV. And we had champagne, literally, ready to pop. So yeah, it was a big, that was a big moment for us. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, and then the time period after that, right? Like it becomes law, but then there's this weird phase of like the regulatory process has to happen. And so then there's, there's no test, right? Like for two or three cycles of maybe we could have a test. There wasn't a test until I think the end of 2011. Yeah, um, it was that huge that was huge that part of that regular people don't under like you were saying Eva you know once the law gets passed it then has to become codified right and that the devil is in those details you know right. you, you still have to be active and be up there and in the mix for that because they can make it they can put up so many roadblocks and so we were we were absolutely part of that we were part of initially helping uh, with questions uh, you know, they did samples and things like that with us. Uh, that that was that was a key time as well. And so, getting members to keep giving, you know, we had to say, look, you, you don't stop. We've got to continue doing what we're doing. Right. Um, and we had created a pack at that point uh, to make some donations, and uh, all those things were key. And we we couldn't let up. I mean, we can't let up now. We need to continue to be funding our lobbying forever. I mean, that's a, a key factor to what we're here about our membership. We're here about member education and, and obviously the social part of it, which is not small for NADR, but, but member education and lobbying, you know, this, this making sure that, that there aren't laws that are passed that are just so extremely detrimental to our clients. And then when they are passed that when they're enacted, that they're enacted in a way that, that, 
you know, is feasible or workable to not only the representatives, but for the average person out there who's applying for disability. That's what I really love about this organization is, you know, we are so involved in what goes on both sides of the of the paper, you know, not just the claimants, but the educational side of it. And that's something that we really gained from these events that that we put on. And if you've never been to one of those events, I mean, it it will be eye opening. It will just it will amaze you at at the dedication that that everyone has. Yeah. Uh-huh. At NADR events, everybody is treated like family. Maybe even if you don't want to, I tell you, if, if you're an introverted wallflower type at NADR, you can do that. But someone's going to come up and hug you and say, "Come to lunch. Let's go to dinner." That's just who we are. Yeah. You know? That's why. That's why I'm still around. Yeah, well, I'm glad. You know, that's <laughs> I, I. I never want to lose the personality of the organization. You know, doing the uh, the not just the the. I would, we could the mini conferences, but basically the, the, that we've been doing, I love that we're doing ones in St. Pete, you know, those things are, that that's wonderful. Uh, those networking events are wonderful. I mean, we do things to build the, the, the camaraderie and the membership and, and that's fantastic. Um, you know, and you've both talked about those. I think those were the brainchild of what, uh, Eva, you and, and Julie. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean we those, were those are okay. great. Those are great. And I, I have to, well, and I'm going to say this, I get to take credit for this. I was the guy that hired Julie and Al. And I'm going to tell you, that was probably one of the best things I did as president of the organization was hiring Julie. I agree Al with you. That time we had hired professional rep association management before that um, under Jim Shaw, we had hired uh, Peter Annis and uh, we had started a newsletter. And I'm going to tell you, this is where it's key. You got to have somebody running your organization that knows what you do and understands what you do. And uh, thank God, you know, you know, Peter didn't really. And and for at the time he was he filled the niche. But then we 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 had we needed something different. And so actually I'd taken over. We took over handling the newsletter ourselves. And we used a printer here right here in St. Pete. That was a guy I know. And. And, you know, kept that going and, you know, in back before the Internet could handle it would take you five minutes even then to to get through this electronically. But uh, we were, uh, you know, that that was those those early days. That was a big decision. And and bringing Julian, because, you know, obviously Martha Gonzalez is mom. And so she understood this. There's nobody better doing this work than Martha. Uh, Again, one of the Martha Gonzalez, one of the critical pieces to the success of NADR um, and her husband Al and and daughter Julie they were they were, I can't tell you I can't tell you how much uh, we leaned on them I know we leaned on them so much as we got bigger that it got you know the job got too big for them um, and that's that was you know that was a good thing uh, and Julie wanted to start representing people I think I have that timeline right yeah uh, like we didn't work them to death but I know Al was sick and, you know, this was, we were getting bigger. There was a lot more to do. And, you know, we had our, we brought on a referral program. We had, you know, the website, we were handling paper apps, online apps. Uh, we were processing credit cards. We were, we were processing, you know, donations to, you know, lobbying. There was just a lot to keep track of. And I, and I, I, I mean, Eva, you know, Michelle and I have looked, you know, We've been there, and when we were smaller, all of us were doing that work. And initially, Phil Robinson, a 
was a volunteer out of Massachusetts who was doing that stuff for us. And we knew we had to have paid help. So, you know, that we moved to Annis and then ultimately Julia now kind of got us on the road to ultimately to you. And that was where we needed to be. Um, you know, it, there is a lot that goes into keeping this organization going. And I tell you, Eva, I thank you and I thank for what you do and your team. And your, I know your husband was part of the team. Yes. Uh, I remember, I remember like, you know, seeing a, a trolley full of, you know, uh, uh, manuals being pushed through Caesar's palace at one point. I'm like, hey, isn't that Eva's husband? What the hell's going on there? So, you know, uh, there's just a lot that goes on behind the scenes, not just for the conferences, which are huge endeavors in them in and of themselves, but but just the general running of the organization. It, it's 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 much it's a bigger deal than people think it is. It's it's a full-time job, you know, it, it really is. You know, it's just like the operations of of a for-profit business. You know, yeah. our structure is different and, yeah. but all of the same kind of day-to-day -day business decisions have to be made. Um, bills have to be paid. Phones have to be answered. Emails have to be answered. Books have yeah. to be filed. I mean, all the same things happen, right? Just yeah. um, for the association, for the sake of the association and the members and, um, you know, the conferences, the get togethers and opportunities where we are. Um, together or what make the job really fun, you know, sure. it's, it's, well, but it's a, but it's a lot of work. It's a heavy lift during um, the in-between times, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And especially as the membership obviously grows and which is what you want, right? Like you want a healthy membership. Yeah. You want um, people yeah. finding value in your organization and, um, I was taking a, a CE course earlier today and like some of the points that the lady was making, I was really, they were really resonating with me because, you know, as, as in any, any job that you would have, I mean, gosh, especially when I was doing this work, but, um, you know, you have days where you're like, God, I'm feeling very uninspired, <laughs> you know, like, and so the CE course this morning, I, I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, yes. Yeah, yes, this lady is speaking to me about, I don't even know what it was on, I think marketing and branding and just, you know, giving me fresh ideas, you know, things that we can apply um, now that we will hopefully see, uh, I don't know, the fruit of soon. Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head, Eva, finding value. And it's those times in between conferences and events where when people are writing the check to renew their ADR or renew their membership, they're sitting there. I mean, everybody says, you know, do I need this? You know, this is an extra. Do I have to have it? And, you know, NADR became essential, uh, you know, and, and it was. And I think for a lot of people, it, it still is essential. And I would, you know, anybody that hasn't thought about joining, I just encourage them to come to any one of our events. Um, and we shifted in those in that regard, too, in the beginning uh, we were, our conferences, you know, we were spending a lot of money on our conferences and our education events and on just the whole experience. And they were kind of a loss leader for us. And we were doing that just to, to again, to attract membership and for people to, like, they were, you'd go to other professional conferences and there was a night and day difference just between what food was laid out in between sessions. I mean, we were doing... Like you would come to ours, you'd be like, wow, this is great. 
And there were friendly, nice, happy people that were all there saying, hey, you know, we're glad to have you here. And, and then, you know, ultimately, you know, as we became, we grew and became more successful, we shifted. You know, I think Scott Whitaker, when he became president, you know, we were at a time where we could say, hey, look, we can go from this being a lost leader and breaking even on conferences to maybe we can make, uh, make a little bit of money for the organization on these conferences and to perpetuate, you know, the growth. And so, you know, he, he came along at the right time for that. So, you know, we, we had the, the right leadership and the right people at the right time on our boards. You know, we, every organization has its hiccups. You know, we had our, we had, we, we, we hit some, yeah, we had some bumps in the road here and there personnel wise. I mean, every organization does, but, uh, but nothing that ever undermined the entire organization. Um, yeah, nothing that challenged, you know, our future. Uh, we were all pretty well together on what we were there for. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we disagreed about how to get there, but uh, that was about, that was it. Yeah. I think that, you know, the, the leaders, the people that um, today in my course, I learned that they're called the lovers, the lovers of the association, the people that always raise their hand, the people that are willing to give back, people that are willing to serve at a higher leadership level, you know, those people, um, despite being on very polar opposite ends of certain arguments for why this or why not this, right? But the the whole purpose for them being in that seat is because they love NADR. Do you know sure. what I mean? And so sure. you, know, you can disagree, right? We're adults, we can have conversations that are difficult and not yeah. always see eye to eye, you know? But um, but I think you're right. The leadership, as the organization has grown, it's been interesting to see how kind of the right leader in the moment has 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 um, shown up, right? Um, yeah. yeah. And we've had to deal with everything, like burnout, you know? I mean, when I, after like 11 years of doing legislative and having been president and vice president, I, I was burnt out. And I, you know, I, you know, I took a couple of years where I wasn't, I, I was at nothing. And I was like, I, I got to take a break. I was still sending in my money and we were still supporting. Uh, but I remember there was like, and, and then I, I was having some health issues, but, and, and then actually there were one or two, one or two conferences or events where I was like, I, I shouldn't be here because I, when you're not feeling well and you go to something, you kind of like, and I'm like, I, I don't want and I said to myself, you know, this isn't good because I don't want this to reflect bad on the organization. So, you know, there are a couple of times where I didn't wasn't able to go to things and I said, you know, I don't go. Don't go if you're not in the right frame of mind as somebody that was in a leadership role. Uh, right. That's key. And, and, you know, continue to recruit new people. And, and we're lucky. We're just so lucky. People have been stepping up and helping and, and doing what they need to do. And, and you know, and now. Thank God, you know, members don't have to pay for their travel if you're on the board. We don't have, all of that was in the beginning was all out of our own pockets. And I know. So, I know. You know. I mean, it's, it's it's amazing how. I mean, I say little organization. It's not a little organization, but there are organizations that are thousands of members large. You know, so yeah. when you look at the, I guess it's all relative, but when you look at the spectrum of size of membership um that are oh, yeah. we're, we're not a super huge organization you know we don't need a big box marriott that can accommodate two thousand room nights you know um and so it's just interesting to see the size of our organization 
what we've accomplished and how how we've managed to um, I don't know make money and reinfuse it you know back into the betterment of the organization and ultimately our members. Um, so that's definitely something I think that anybody that served on our leadership um, over the last twenty three years should be proud of because um, yeah. Having a fiscally sound association, especially coming out of a global pandemic, I think is um, pretty remarkable. You know? Yes. And, uh, you know, that was Greg's tenure and Mike's tenure. And oh, my God, I, I weep for them. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I just can't imagine, you know, I, you know, thank God we were where we were in our you know growth in terms of how much we had in the bank and, and, and how we were doing when that came along, because if this had happened to us in the very beginning, I don't know if we would have survived. It could have been a dart gun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So, okay. So before we wrap up, I want to ask you one other question. So what do you hope for, for the organization? Like, what do you hope for, for NADR? I mean, I just hope we keep doing what we're doing. Uh, you know, continue to be uh, an example out there for people in terms of uh, education and representation for for our clients. I I hope that when people are out there, look either especially looking to take the EDPNA exam, that they look to us to get assistance and help with it. And I hope that we you know maintain the the general feel that that you you get when you come to one of our conferences. I mean, it's it's a welcoming. Hey, we're glad you're here. If we don't know you, tell us about yourself. Uh, you, you just feel like you're part of the family, and I hope that that never goes away. Um, I really that that's key. I think that's one of been one of the keys to our success. I I hope we continue to do conferences the way we do, and and focus on the right kind of education for the membership. Like, what what exactly do they need? Um, I've always you know felt like. Any organization that reaches out and asks the members, what do you want? What do you need? You know, that's key. And we do that. Um, and I think that's important. I would say more of that's always good. And that's, I, I hope we, we keep doing things like that. And, and essentially, we are a members up organization. And I hope it stays that way. Uh, yeah. That doesn't become a situation where there's a board dictating everything that's happening. And uh, yeah, you know, this is a member driven group. And I, I hope that we never change that. This is that's that's I think been key to the success as well. The people, the that aspect of it. I I I truly hope that we continue to do that and continue to be, I think, a driving force, not just obviously legislatively, but in education for our members and in helping create and make better representatives out there, whether they're non-attorney reps or attorneys. I think NADR can play a crucial role in the development of any practitioner. Uh, It it has made me better. Uh, It has, I know it has helped Michelle. Uh, I think anybody that's been in NADR can point to several things that they picked up from conferences or events that have made them better at what they do. And that in turn obviously reflects well for our clients and these are people that desperately need our help so you know i hope we continue to do that i feel like we're i mean i know i i get a little choked up about it because i hope we continue to be that light out there that people can look for 
if they need assistance. And yeah. now I think it's even easier to find this, you know, Google search organizations that, you know, help associations for social security. Yeah. You know, uh, I yeah, think I mean, you'll, you'll find us. You know, it's funny. We were talking recently about this whole, the memo that went out about, Oh, we're rolling back accepting electron or uh, yeah. Electronically signed applications for SSI. Right. And I'm just like, when you can buy a house from your home, like I don't have to leave my home to buy a new house. Like, yeah. Come on, man. You know, but it's amazing the way that technology has changed. Yeah. Not only for the people that do this work, but for the association itself, you know, yeah. for the ability to connect. Um, those small items, you know, we, we, I say small, that's not, but those everyday items that we're taking care of. Those are big issues in the overall world of representation. And if we're not on top of those, if somebody isn't on top of those, you know, every mom and pop, even some of our large practitioners, they don't have the wherewithal to, to, to stand up to something like that or say, Hey, wait a minute, you know, this is, we need to fix this, but the organization does. And I, and I hope we continue to be that organization for people and that they look to us when they need that kind of assistance. That's, that's, you know, critical for us. I hope that we also will take the time and maybe, you know, you asked about how we can keep people involved in giving. I think you need to bring back some of those original people that were involved, you know, people like Martha Gonzalez and others and say, have them talk about, you know, I remember going to the Hill and give their personal experiences with legislative issues and let them talk to people about how important it was. Um, You know, people that got into this post EDPNA have just no idea this thing's always been there and what's key is they think it's always going to be there I hope that in the future we continue to not just stay in the fight but continue to monitor to to preserve what we've gained right everybody needs to understand that it could always it could go away I'm not saying the sky's falling but it's one of those things that you have to pay professional people to be on top of that because imagine I, I imagine if fee withholding went away tomorrow what that would do to people yeah. catastrophic so yeah well, I mean, you know fighting one office to get your fees released right is it stinks but like imagine if you had to go back to the days where you were having oh, to with yeah. 55 Trying at one time. Uh, preach, know. sister. <laughs> oh, I, it was full time for me. I'm chasing clients down yeah. for money. Yeah. 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 I'll yeah. plug Michael again because I think he's done such an awesome job with our feet issues project. And um, so, if you have and if you have outstanding fees that are nine months or older and you need, oh my God, hey, killing up right now. You know, it's killing us right now. So. I agree. That's when you look to an organ, the organization, to help with that sort of thing, and 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 I, I'm still comfortable in the thought that I know that if I bring something to the attention of the leadership of NADR, they're going to act on it, and they're going to get back to me and say, "Hey, this is what we're doing." Right. You know, a lot of organizations don't work like that, so we still do, and I hope we continue to do that. So, thank you guys. This has been great. Absolutely. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. Um, Send your lovely wife a hello. I absolutely. uh, We will see you soon and talk to you. Thank you so much.
Thank you, Shay. Thank you, Eva. It's great seeing you. All right. Yes, sir. By the way, great job with these things. They've been wonderful. I've been listening to them. You guys are doing